strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, welcome to the final hour of the show. Appreciate you spending some time with us. A couple of conflicting headlines when it comes to our economy. One says ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach closed due to widespread worker shortages. And another one says America is back in the factory business, that we are building factories very quickly here in the U.S. Do we have an employment problem with our economy? What I mean by that is do we have a, a, a problem with younger people not wanting to work? I I look at things in a twisted way, I think. Um, when given the opportunity, when my grandkids get older, um, if let's say my grandkids were of age right now to be going to work, um, I would tell them that right now is the best time in their life. And here's why. When you are – and I don't know that this is a true – if this is more about emotion or if it is about statistics – but there is this feeling that we are we've got a bunch of soft young people that are and I, I will say there's exceptions because I work with some very hardworking people, uh, thick skinned, hardworking, dedicated people want to get better at their craft, get better at what they do in this building and other places as well. I admire a lot of what the young people that I've seen are motivated to be good at things. But we also know that there's a lot of jobs that young people don't want to do. The construction field, it's not a field that where there are a lot of people going into it. So let's go with the premise for a moment that really it's tough to get people to work in some arenas. That is the best time for you. I took advantage of it. I'll be very honest with you. I had nothing to offer. I was 18 years old, had just gotten my GED, didn't even have a high school. Well, it is an equivalency, but I didn't graduate with my class. I took the GED exam, and um, I was working in a gas station. I was overnights at one of those drive through convenience stores and gas stations. And I took a job as an apprentice electrician because it paid more than the mundane job I was doing and found out, hey, I could be good at this. But I knew nothing. The only thing I had to offer my boss was a work ethic. The old adage is I was a strong back and a weak mind. I was somebody that did what they were told when they were told as well as they could do it. And that served me well for over 20 years. That I went from being a know-nothing on a job site that was just there to carry heavy stuff and make sure the important guys had what they needed to work to owning my own business in the industry. And I would tell that story with all humility and say to people, truly, if I can do it, you can do it. That if I would do what other people weren't willing to do. There was uh, a company I worked for on this little island called Sanibel Island, Sanibel and Captiva Islands, beautiful barrier islands off the coast of Fort Myers in Florida. I've talked about this many times, a little bit north of Marco Island, which is just off the coast of Naples. But I worked primarily, we were based on Sanibel Island. And the boss was a good guy and had a small company, not many guys working, six or seven guys working for him. But I was always the one that when he needed someone to work late, I said yes. If he needed someone to work weekends, I said yes. I did want the extra money, but it was more about reliability. And so when he was ready to expand, he made me his service manager over the other people at the company. Some of them had been there much longer. But they would, you know, they just weren't as willing as I was to go the extra mile. 
So my point of this story is work ethic will carry you a long way in an economy like this. So when you see the downside of this is we're not getting people to fill these jobs. When I went, when I went into radio, um, I didn't know anything about this business. I couldn't turn my own microphone on. But when I was employed to do it, when I got paid to do it, I promised my bosses I would do whatever it takes to get better. I will work harder than everyone. I will develop relationships. I will do whatever I have to do. And and I was able to transition into a new career in my 40s. And none of this is to puff me up. It's to say sincerely, if I can do this, anybody can. That when the economy is offering what it's offering right now. When we have the diversity of employment we have in the state of Arizona, there is no reason why your – and we know what teenagers are like. Your lazy teenager can't get a skill set and do a job that turns – that is a career that feeds them and their family for a long time. And every parent out there that has a child that they are concerned about, I can tell you I kept my mother up most nights until I was about 25. Um and there was something that clicked in me when I turned 18 when I got into a trade. I was still a maniac, but I found something that I knew I could be really good at. Learning meant more to me. My um, my track record at work, keeping a job, all of those things mattered more to me. Giving people that opportunity when they're ready is what makes us, I think, successful as an economy. That a different, it, it is different for other people. I admire my youngest brother. I admire my youngest brother because he was the guy that did the right thing all the time. Most improved student in middle school, went to a prep school on a scholarship, went to college on an athletic scholarship, um, married his high school sweetheart, and or really pretty shortly after high school and in college, married his his, uh, his sweetheart, been married for over 20 years, great family man, great cop. He did everything that way. That was not my path. But the world offered us the, – the American economy offered us two different paths to success in our lives. Here in Arizona, we have done much of this. What you are seeing – and this is a little shift, but it, it continues this conversation. The French president met with the Chinese president. I think, is mo- and a lot of experts believe, and I'm following their lead, that the Chinese are making a major move right now in trying to uh, offset – and the dollar being the default currency around the world. They're doing it with the Saudis when it comes to oil. They're having conversations about autonomy with the French. They're French are, the French are our oldest ally. As a nation, the French are our oldest ally. And they are saying, basically, keep us out of this big fight. If China and the U.S. wants to fight, if the two elephants in the jungle want to do battle, let them. But it endangers the entire jungle, and we don't want to get hurt. We aren't looking. For, so that's your oldest ally on the planet meets with what would be certainly your biggest economic adversary and talks about autonomy with uh, currency. And when you know the Chinese are negotiating with multiple countries and getting involved in new forms of currency, and actively trying to upset the dollar as the default currency, we've got work to do. Dominance and all these other words, what we need is security. We need to secure the future so that our grandchildren have opportunities that we didn't. It's one thing to say they have the same opportunities we do. If we're really going to set a goal, why wouldn't we have our financial house in order as a government and hand over to them a well-oiled, well-running, streamlined machine and opportunities for work that are better than we had? 
And I just don't know if we're going to get there. You know, this thing with China is real, and this is what economic adversaries did. If you look back to what we did with the Russians in the Cold War, we beat them because our economy was better. Ronald Reagan won the Cold War without firing a shot, and he did it because he knew that they could not keep up with us in an arms race. It would cripple their economy, and that's exactly what it did. It wasn't about military might and power. It was about economic dominance. And the entire Soviet Union fell apart. Now look what China's doing with economy around the world. And it's just something we should be concerned about. In a moment, we catch you up on the biggest news stories of the day. It's a segment we call Did You Hear This? Hang out for it. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's crank it up. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Five people are dead and another eight wounded after a man opened fire in a downtown Louisville bank. Kentucky Governor Andy Beshar was emotional during his press conference. My AG campaign was out of that building. I know virtually everyone in it. That's my bank. I hope that they will all reach out and get the help that they need. There are a lot of people that are hurting today. Can we stop these events from happening? I don't know. I don't know if we can stop them from happening or not. I know what we should be doing is looking at um, the mental health of people that are um, trying to get guns. I think that we need to look at people for who they are and not the weapons that they use. The White House says one of the solutions they propose today is eliminating the, uh, uh, the defense or the not allowing any liability for gun manufacturers. In other words, words, if you manufacture a gun and somebody uses that gun to kill somebody, you should, as the manufacturer, be someone that's held accountable for that. If that doesn't scare everybody out there, if you're a car manufacturer and somebody kills somebody in one of your cars, should you be held liable? If you're an alcohol manufacturer and somebody drinks too much of your alcohol and kills someone, should you be held liable? These are scary questions. This is about individuals that do horrible things. I'm anxious to find out more about why this person did what they did, but I do think it, all of us have a right to know what can we do about people that are mentally disturbed. And that is where our fight and our argument should be. Dangerous mental illness more than the weapons they use. Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Pinzone joined you in the studio today to discuss the importance of implementing drug scanners into jails to ensure the safety of employees and inmates. If you're truly committed to a drug-free jail, which is it's not attainable, it's not realistic, but you can mitigate by being thoughtful and, and committed, um, that it has to be everybody. Could we see jails across the United States follow Sheriff Penzone's lead? I think they're all going to start doing more things. It gets very expensive to treat inmates. You understand that with fentanyl has changed everything because just coming in contact with it can be deadly. We've seen police officers and detention officers that have been exposed to fentanyl and had OD'd where Narcan had to be uh, used. We've seen many people die. It's huge numbers of people dying from overdoses of this drug. So I do think that you are going to start seeing jails using things like dogs to sniff out drugs, which is not an inexpensive proposition. It is very expensive. Those dogs, largely they're Malinois. Those dogs are very expensive to 
buy. They're very expensive to train, but they are one of the most effective tools in locating a drug that is easy to hide. And as the sheriff delicately said, they hide things in their body in places that the jail can't search. That is something I think all of us should be considering. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up. Tesla is in some hot water with its customers after a Reuters report said that some Tesla employees shared private photos and videos from customers' car cameras. The potential class action lawsuit alleges that between 2019 and 2022, Tesla employees accessed and circulated recordings of Tesla customers in private and embarrassing situations without their consent. Is there a difference between Tesla accessing your cameras and social media platforms tracking your data? I don't know about that. I mean, I think all of it is part of what you have to give up. You're giving up some of your anonymity and some of your privacy for convenience. How about the fact that your phone is listening to every conversation that you have? How about the fact that that uh, Alexa or Siri is listening to every word that you say? Uh, and they keep telling us that they're not doing anything with that data, only to find out later on. There are some of those moments, and especially if you think about having one of those services like Alexa or Siri in your home, imagine some of the things they hear in the privacy of your home going on. We know that's happened. But it's creepy to me, the fact that those cameras could be used to incriminate you. Um, there was one instance of a guy that was video. That was the exterior camera on the vehicle. He was approaching his car naked. I don't know why you do that, but that picture was taken of him. That picture was circulated by employees. It's not a good look. Not a good look at all. Yesterday was the NBA season finale, and we now know the Phoenix Suns will play the Los Angeles Clippers in round one of the playoffs. It also means we get to hear more of Al McCoy. We have got a lot of basketball games to win, right? All right, so let's go. Shazam! Can the Suns win it for Al this year? I don't know if they're going to win it. I, I, they've got a very good shot. I was watching early this morning. I was watching sports as I was getting ready for work. And there were a couple of the experts that were saying that they now believe watching how this team is gelled together. And with the um, with the addition of KD on this team, that in their mind, that they are the team to beat. That doesn't mean that they will, but they are the team to beat. Then you got to get past a very strong Eastern Conference. But I want to say this. Um, for those of you that have never met Al McCoy, but you've been listening to him for years, for decades. Al McCoy is as much of a legendary broadcaster as he is and deserves every accolade he get, he gets. He's a better human being. He has been one of the nicest, kindest people to me when he didn't have to be. If there's one person in broadcasting that has every right to be a bit of a diva for what they do, it's Al McCoy, and he has never done that for me. From the minute I met him to every time I see him, he is a gentleman. He represents this valley very well. He's going to be sorely missed on the airwaves. And we don't use this word. We use this word legend too much. With him, I think he's legendary in broadcasting. He is a big piece of the Suns. And I think what they ought to do is they ought to name the street out by the arena after him is what I think they should do. That would be a fitting tribute to Al McCoy. The, uh, the Footprint Center is where they play right now. It should be renamed the Al McCoy Footprint Center. I think that that would be a fitting tribute to Al. Something should be done here in the Valley that will live forever that's named for Al McCoy. 
I think that's a I really believe that's a fitting tribute to Al McCoy. And I would imagine if I have that idea, there are people that are already working on it. Um, just for the Suns fans that are out there, I learned this because I was in the arena when it happened. When he was inducted into the Ring of Honor for the Phoenix Suns, I learned then that he has been a part of every Ring of Honor induction ceremony since the inception of the Phoenix Suns. That's how much he's meant to this team. And uh, I, I just think it's terrific. I think it's a great story. In a moment, we go back to the topic of education, school safety, teacher retention, one of the big topics for all of us. We'll discuss the options next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, we know about the shooting in Louisville today, and it always brings to mind, now this was not a school shooting, but the school shootings are the ones that seem to have people as concerned as anything. Um, the narrative has got to be broadened, I would say, in the conversations about schools. I've started this topic a couple of times today because I think it's an important one. I think it's probably, in my opinion, the most important thing that needs to be fixed in Arizona, and that is our K through 12 issues. Now, whether the people on the other side of this conversation agree with me or not, I agree with them that it is that important that we fix this issue. If I were running for governor, that would be one of the highlights of my platform. Would I would surround myself with the best um, education minds, and I would ask him. And I would go. I, I, we've had Dr. Crow on, Michael Crow from ASU, and he talked about what they're doing at ASU, having a K through twelve. Um, School at ASU, that they have an online ability for kids to go to school, the great results they're getting, uh, what they're doing to help the public school system in Arizona to become more innovative and better. I think we should go to all of those leaders. We should be talking to ASU and U of A and NAU and GCU and ACU and all of these other educational institutions and find out what their best practices are for getting people to learn. And then we should be figuring out what works best in the classrooms. Why is it in Arizona that we have some of the best schools in the country year in and year out basis schools and other schools are the best performing schools in the country then the public school system when they hear that because they're dismal in their performances well they handpick their students and they pick winners and losers and they do this instead of saying they've got to be doing something we aren't Excuses are made. So our governor, Governor Hobbs, um, put together an, an educator retention task force. I would say that there are a couple of things, and this is where I think the conversation needs to be broadened. Because the narrative that's most spoken is teachers are leaving because they aren't being paid enough. And I will tell you that that is a part of the issue. There's no doubt about it. No doubt. But I talk to a lot of teachers. I don't pull things out of the air. I'm, I don't guess. I ask people that aren't being heard. You're not, you don't see people sticking the microphone in faces of teachers that have a different opinion. The teachers I talk to, school safety is a big issue, especially at the high school level. There are a lot of teachers that are afraid on high school campuses. And the reason why they're afraid is because Phoenix Union High School District got rid of school resource officers. And you've got kids, we all know it, gang members happen younger and younger or affiliated with gangs and doing these things. We knew who they were. When I was in high school, I graduated from high school in 1985. 
Back then, it wasn't like it is now, but everybody knew who the pot dealer was in high school. We all knew who it was. And so to, to act as if somehow that there's not a danger in school campuses, how many times? Go to KTAR.com. You can do a search and find it. There was a, another gun on another Phoenix Union High School District school. And it happened again last week. Where's the media outcry? What happened in Louisville today? What happened in Nashville recently? These were not students. Now, this other one, this one today was at a bank. It wasn't a high school. But when you look at these school shootings, what about in Arizona when kids are being found with guns on campus to cover their own backsides? What are they saying? No staff or no staff or students were ever in danger. Yes, they were. Until you took that gun from that student, everybody was in danger. So until you disarmed that kid who wasn't supposed to have a gun anyway, they weren't old enough, not on school campus, can't conceal it, can't brandish it. There's four felonies that they committed, but let's make more laws. But instead of that conversation, you want to make things better for teachers. It is about money. That's a part of it. But it's about environment. There are teachers that feel as if they are pushed around. They don't wear the, you know, there, there was a thing for a long time with this Red for Red movement in Arizona. They wear red on Wednesdays. That's their day. And if you didn't wear red on Wednesdays, back when they were at their height of popularity, you were turned in. They, you, weren't, you were considered not a team player. So you were kind of, it was like being back in school as a student. You were sitting at the wrong lunch table. You weren't one of the cool kids, and we're going to make sure you know it. So teachers are leaving this profession for different reasons. And they're also staying quiet because they want to go to school and teach. They don't want to go to school and have to put up with the political nonsense. That's another part of it. If you're a history teacher, you want to teach history. If you're a math teacher, you want to teach math. You don't want to have to mix in all of these other political agendas in the way you teach and make excuses for kids that aren't getting good grades. There are places that want to get rid of letter grades. There are universities that are having kids not meet the standard for graduation, so they want to get rid of the standards. There are Ivy League schools that are going to get rid of SAT scores. But here in Arizona, it is more than just a single issue. Now, I will be honest, what I'm critical about in this task force is they've got a year. A year. They're not going to report back to the governor until December. After 25% of her time in office, at least if, you know, maybe she'll, maybe it's, you know, she'll do two terms, but for what she knows she's going to have is four. 25% of her time in office is over before she gets the recommendations or at least it says them in the state of the state address in 2024. What are we waiting for? You've got kids in, in, elementary school now that can't afford to have another year of dismal performance. We're going to lose a generation of these kids. So I'm a little critical of the task force mentality of we're on it. We've assembled a task force. We're going to come up with some really good ideas. Then we're going to tell you what those ideas are in 2024. Then we're going to demand that you fund our ideas in 2024. And if you don't think that our ideas are good ideas and you say you're not sure about it, they're going to say that you won't spend money on education again. Then we'll get through 2024 and into 2025 and nothing is still going to be done. 
you have, and I don't think the Republicans are perfect. I certainly don't. I've been very critical of my party. But when you got Matt Gress, who is proposing a $10,000 raise for teachers right now, simple, but they don't like any of the strings attached. They don't like accountability. So the, the administrators don't want to have to write more reports. Isn't this funny? You hear me as a capitalist say all the time that it's compliance that costs so much money for a company, that redundancy and compliance and having to write reports and having to do these other things are very expensive. And what do we hear from the other side of the aisle? If you don't have these rules in place, these horrible corporations will walk all over their employees. They'll mismanage. They'll do bad things to the environment. So we have to have all of these regulations in place. So somebody on the other side of the aisle says, let's give this money to teachers. Let's make sure. Sure, it goes into the classroom. So we've got some reporting and oversight to know that the teachers are getting those dollars. And you hear from them, nope, that costs money. Are you kidding me? It's be more expensive now to run schools. We have to write more reports. Doesn't that seem a bit odd? It just seems a bit odd. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about my conversation with Sheriff Penzone earlier today. Two big topics we covered with him. We'll get to them both coming up here in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And we got a few minutes left in the show before we close it out. The headline, we had, we had. Um, I hope you'll go and listen to the interview on the podcast. We had Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Penzone in studio. And we talked about two, basically two different topics. The first one had to do with COVID because the sheriff's office was sued, um, and it was sued in a ridiculous lawsuit. And it was um, because they uh, it was the ACLU, and I think it was Puente, it was two organizations in Arizona that at the beginning of COVID said that there are certain inmates that should be let out of jail because they're at a higher risk for COVID. And I just kind of laughed at that. I thought we're all at risk for COVID. And if you've committed a crime, you're going to jail. And that's basically what the sheriff said. But they put uh, plans in place and implemented protocol in place that went over and above what was necessary. And they were a very safe place during COVID. So this happened in 2020, I believe. And it took over two years to make its way through the courts fully. And a judge said, they went above and beyond that this was a lawsuit of no merit. And so I thought that was worth saying that at least you in the in Maricopa County understand that these people that were going to work every day when many people could work from home, you can in corrections or in in as a detention officer, they did things the right way. The other part of the conversation had to do with safety in the jails when it comes to fentanyl. And I talked to him about them installing scanners, which are on their way. They're getting ready to be delivered. And even employees will have to go through these scanners to try to mitigate drugs getting into the jails. We're in the final stages. They're being shipped now and, and implemented. And we're going to be staffing those up, not using our detention officers so that we don't deplete the, the workforce. But I just feel like if you're truly committed to a drug-free jail, which is it's not attainable, it's not realistic, but you can mitigate by being thoughtful and, and committed um, that it has to be everybody. And it's not just our employees. You know, there's a lot of other staff that come in. There are volunteers that come into the jail system. So anybody, everybody who might be considering bringing contraband, we should have a high standard to, to prevent that from happening. And so he, he, as delicately as he could, talked about how inmates are getting drugs into the jails. 
I am amazed at what inmates are willing to do to bring drugs into jail. And you have to recognize there are inmates who know they're going in. It's not like you just got arrested on the street. It could be a probation violation. It could be that you've been sentenced and have to report. So they will put drugs in parts of their body where we are not permitted by law to access. And I'm sure you understand what I'm explaining. And when they can bring it in and they can distribute it, it's got high value. And fentanyl is so dangerous um, that this is the type of thing that we see. So, you know, when you're facing this and he talked about it being a, a, you know, this is kind of a reflection on society. What happens in society shows up in jail. So I asked him, um, you know, I, I was I've been talking a lot lately about watching this ongoing series from Nat Geo called How to Catch a Smuggler. And it's the same principle, whether you're trying to sneak drugs into the country or sneak them into a facility like a jail or a prison. Um, so I asked him because what seems to be something that works really well are these dogs that have been trained to find the scent of drugs. And here was his reply. Now, I spoke with my chief last week because we want to take every possible step because it's not just the inmate population. It is the detention officers who are at risk when you're dealing with this issue. So we're going to consider everything and, and anything um, because we want to make sure that we run a jail system where we can keep everybody safe, including our DOs, and this is the biggest threat to us right now. Yeah, so, you know, this is a big problem, and it's a big problem on the streets, and then it translates into the jail, which to the sheriff's point that what's happening in society happens in the jail. Um, and I just think that it's it's something we all need to be a part of fixing. And when you hear about what they're trying to do, it's difficult in the jail sometimes. Officer safety is a different thing in a jail setting than it is on the street. My brother was in corrections for a long time. We used to talk about that all the time. It's a difficult job because you're very outnumbered. Uh, you don't have the access to deadly force if you need it on a regular basis. So you are left to your own wits. And officers get attacked uh, at times, or it used to be, and I'm talking about direct Department of Corrections, they used to get attacked when it wasn't their fault, when an inmate felt like they were in danger and wanted to be segregated. But I will tell you that what they've done in the jail system with technology and the way that they are using technology to make the world safer for the inmates that are there just to do their time and not get in trouble and for the officers there, it's a pretty cool thing. But what's happening with drugs like fentanyl and how it's changing who we are as a country, whether they're trying to bring these things in across our borders or they're trying to bring them into a system, the sheriff talked about how they will use a legal letterhead, you know, an envelope that they get from a lawyer, which is protected correspondence, and they will send the letter in another package to their family. So when the family sends it back, it looks like it's coming from a lawyer. And what they've done is they've taken a letter and they've soaked it in fentanyl, let the paper dry, and then write on it or whatever and send it back. And then they're ripping off those pieces of paper and kind of, I guess, sucking on the paper or chewing the paper to get the fentanyl high. I mean, that's just one of the crazy ways when you want something that badly that they're willing to try and do. So it was a good conversation with the sheriff. I hope you'll go back and listen to the full interview on the podcast after the show is over. You hear the music, which means I'm just about out of time. So I want to invite you to check us out on social media at Broomhead KTAR is my personal Twitter account. Um, at Broomhead Show update you on the show stuff. Please follow both. Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram is where you can check me out on Instagram as well. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow morning just after 8 o'clock for another show. I hope you can join me. Until then, have a great day. God bless.